everyone, welcome to Handing the Shame Back, a channel dedicated to the survivors of child sexual abuse throughout the world. We know the numbers are huge. We know there's a lot walking around who have been unable to speak of the trauma, let alone start to deal with it. So this is one small way that um, I can bring this to you. What our beautiful guests say may inspire or help you feel less alone. You may be able to relate. So as with all shows, there's a trigger warning and this trigger warning comes because I don't want you feeling upset or uh, disturbed. If you start to feel triggered, please stop watching. Go to the show notes below and you'll be directed to some resource and support. In the meantime, I have an amazing guest to bring to you today. She comes to us all the way from Ballarat, Victoria. I bet it's lovely and warm over there in Australia. <laughs> and her name is Marita Murphy. She will be known to some of you. She was well, uh, she was publicized years ago for what she went through and her courage and bravery in stepping forward. She is a victim, she is a survivor, and she is an advocate. Welcome to the show, Marita. Thank you, Gloria. So lovely to have you here. And as with all shows, we're starting off with our first part, which will focus on your story and what you experienced as a child. Only as much as you're happy to discuss and share uh, the reason I ask that is because for some of our survivors, some of your history may relate specifically or directly to theirs. Um, is it possible just to get you more in the camera? Ah, that's better. Now we can see your lovely face more. <laughs> so, Marita, um, would you like to share with us just what you're comfortable to, kind of um, where you were living, how old everything. You were? All, yeah, whatever you're comfortable Everything. To. I'm okay. happy to, because I, I do understand after four decades of silence that um, it's not conducive to healing, it's not conducive to stopping predators and perpetrators offending. So, yeah, I've gone from one extreme to the other. Oh, congratulations. It takes a long time, doesn't it, to it does, to yes. place of... I don't know, just acceptance, I think, or just, mm. you know, recognizing and, and actually believing deeply, yeah, this, this was our story. So um, I applaud you and you just don't know who you're going to reach. So thank you. Fingers crossed. Okay. So tell us a, a little bit. You were, um, you were living in your family home. How old? Yes. Yeah. Um, I was six, and it's all recorded on um, my self-produced justice journey documentary that's on YouTube. It's called You Be the Judge, the Marita Murphy story. So a wholesome little Catholic settlement, about 60 k's from GPO in Melbourne, youngest of seven, and my father had just um, passed away from a brain tumour. And, of course, that's when we have the vulnerability of a you know, a family, a family trauma that leaves a child unprotected, I suppose. So I was picked up and taken to Melbourne by a family when I was seven. Mum was sick in hospital 
and it's all in my documentary. What they had, um, they had a, an Aboriginal juvenile delinquent staying with them or in care with them, and they took me. So the woman's two sons, or the family's two sons, and the Aboriginal. And um, yes, the sexual abuse started on the first night. And a seven-year-old just doesn't have a vocabulary to describe. And I mean, I didn't even learn the word rape or what rape meant until years later when I read it in a book and looked it up and finally understood when um, I was told those boys had interfered with me or they shouldn't have interfered with me that, that they'd been raping me. So, you know, counselling and therapy and that, is now offered and it's actually offered worldwide instead of justice and that just does not sit well with me it's good it's helpful it's handy but um healing requires justice these are crimes crimes against children there's no issue of consent with a seven-year-old no 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 and uh are you am i correct and did did you just say that the counselling was offered instead of just well when you go to the police and you report um i saw through the freedom of information i tried to get my case because i was curious about you know these people exist they're alive my rapists and um I just wanted validation and um, of how to destroy my childhood and my life and my mother's mental health. And the police said, finally, after a very long time, through the Freedom of Information, I got back a copy of my statement, which I already had, and the police had written on it, we've suggested she get counselling and she's refused, like I'm the bad person. Well, I managed for about 50 years without counselling and now I'm told, you know, I'm a bad person because I'm. It has its place, and I hear lots of good reports. But now I'm off, offered all this higgledy piggledy counselling, vocat, GPs, the Royal Commission on Childhood Sexual Abuse. I want justice. I want validation, and I want compensation. And none of those things are available at all. That's what I'm fighting for, and I'm not going to stop until I, until I get it. So I realised, I just realised I was fighting for myself. Pardon me, then I realised I was fighting for so many, one in three. Sorry, I just, just makes you so angry that children don't have a voice and it's not a child's job to protect themselves, it's an adult's job. It's a child's job to have a carefree childhood. Well, it's a ch- it's exactly, and if not you, then who should be yeah. able to be every adult everywhere, you yeah. know? And and Marita, I guess, um, you know, you were seven when it began. How long were you? Uh, how long did you have to stay there? Well, as the judges said, three male judges, when they overruled a county court woman judge and denied me a voice or the opportunity to go to court, as they said. And, and it enrages me, and it, it does and it doesn't. But as they said, I was only raped for a week to 10 days, and then I spoke and I was removed. But the beautiful thing survivors say, because I understand when you've got ritual systemic abuse, etc., 
generational that I understand why they said that, but survivors will say to me, it doesn't matter whether you drown in a foot of water or 20 foot of water, you're still... And so survivors defend me if I try to minimise what happened to me because my mum taught HSC, VCE, Year 12, which is the final year of Victorian schooling when she was 21. I left school at 12 midterm. Now, clearly my mother believed in education for girls. Why am I... My life was just destroyed. So can you tell me, uh, because it's, I'm, you know, equally in shock and equally impressed, so take the win if you can. But (laughs) I I think what I'm impressed by is as a child, you actually found your voice. Yes, they've been been threatening me. And um, I spoke at the dinner table after a gang rape under a bridge. So I had five older brothers, so I they actually called me, years later they called me Ned, and I thought, oh, my brothers think I'm a tough bushranger like Ned Kelly, but it was an acronym for nothing except Dobbs. So, you know, the Dobber, the person that tells on other people is always deemed the whistleblower, the truth teller. Yes. They're sort of, they're shunned. Yeah. But But I knew that my voice had power. But but then, you know, my mother, and I, I can understand her actions or her inactions in the fact that you're living in a little country Catholic town, everyone's living their life to the rhythm of the church. And if you had have been a gang rape victim or the police had have been involved, you sort of, you know, I felt like a fallen woman at seven and you're protecting that, but really it's incredibly wrong and there was letters pertaining to the abuse which mum and I discussed when I was 17 and Gloria those letters if I survived and lived should have been kept for me as an adult as evidence because even though it was tragic for my mum and she was a very good person um, she was the secondary victim I was the primary victim and by destroying those letters that would have upset her, she took away my chance at, at obtaining justice now. Yes, I see what you're saying. So my my people get confused about, you know, the uncle, the stepfather, the father, the grandfather, what have you. People have got to understand these are crimes, serious crimes committed against children, and we've just got to not get confused and understand that you take the personalities out of it. It's got nothing to do. We don't care if it's the church, the fireman, the pastor. We don't care. Crimes against the most vulnerable of our society and child molesters, an adult, not that these weren't adults, they were 14-year-olds, but traditionally an adult caught sexually abusing a child used to be hung. What, what has happened to our society now? Well, that's a good question. But let me yeah. take you back because you're saying so much that has yes, such yes. jump. So thank you. It's really, it's great. And for our survivors listening, um, you know, you guys are going to be able to relate to this because we know as survivors, we people just want us to shut up really. Yes. yes. That suits their narrative. They yes. With our truth. 
But Marita, I guess you know you were you had dinner one night living uh, still with this family in Melbourne. You told the truth, and was it the parents at the table that then? Yeah. Yeah. Good on them. I'm pleased they did that for you. But then they covered their butts. The woman, the mother, um, you know, I've always said the worst kind of boy man is the one spoilt by his mother. And little Johnny never had to face any consequences until I came roaring back into his life and welcomed him to mine, my nightmare. Um, So I've been threatened. I sued him. The courts made me pay him. The bill was 120000 to not be heard, and he took my money. Yeah. So in, in response to the Royal Commission, which ran for five years into child sexual abuse in Australia, which not being sexist, just being factual, was called for boys. There's more girl victims than boy victims. But for some reason, it's worse for a male because it messes with his future sexuality but to be honest to the child doesn't matter if you're a girl or boy if you're raped it's it's a horrendous criminal experience that you can't make any sense of it destroys your childhood takes away your sense of safety and sense of self and you know it's wrong that society deem that a boy interfered with is worse than a girl it's just the same and these are societal norms that we need to change, like taking back the shame. The shame actually doesn't belong with us. It belongs to the perpetrators and we're taking it and giving it back to them. It's their problem. I don't well, care if you're up. Yeah. And, and of course, you, you were in the era too where, you know, there was no permission given given for anything to be other than uh, appearances were everything. So yeah, you—that's yeah. what your mum had been conditioned to and brought up with. And yes, although she would, you know, possibly supported you. I don't know. Oh, she did. She was like it, yeah. it. She's she's on a tightrope there. I can see it. But she, you know, she's making the decisions with me as a child. But if you leave, you're not always going to be a child. No. Um. And her scholastic mentor, her mentor, the person that instructed her into the Catholic faith and baptised her, was the namesake uncle of the guy I sued for rape. He was a priest. So you had to break down that 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 friendship. Well, they're both dead now, so I just decided to find him. I decided to find them. And it's, it's on my documentary that I've confronted them. And... Um, I've done no good. And of course, um, they're not admitting anything. No. Well, one of them one of them supported me, the Aboriginal. I it took the police a year and a half to find him. It took me about ten minutes and he didn't know that I'd sued the other one. And he just said, uh, lady, you need your money back and he helped, he's in the documentary and he helped me as much as he possibly could. So he had genuine remorse. You know, because my trauma initially was the rapes, but as an adult, my trauma now is financial. It's cost me my marriage. We're going to have to leave our home. We're separated under the one roof. Like we were having words one day. We'd been married for 38 years, and he he said suddenly, he said, I've never mentioned the money, and I said, you just did. So it had always been there, the money that I lost, that my rapist took. Um. 
so the one with the most money wins and he's very wealthy he's had a successful life and he on all intents and appearances but when i sued him because he had the money he 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 appealed to the court of appeals which judicates over the supreme court in melbourne to get the case thrown out it's actually called an abuse of power to let it go to trial but the real abuse of power was these two 14 year olds with a seven year old and when he appealed to get it thrown out in which he was successful he also appealed to get his identity hidden and i couldn't afford to fight both and lose both so i didn't worry about it i wasn't out to destroy anybody so the judges made the ruling in his favour, but they put their names online. And he was threatening me if anyone found out his name, you know, I was going to get broken, I was going to get this, I was going to get that. Like you're suing someone really wealthy for rape and he's saying he's innocent, but he doesn't counter-sue. Funny that. And he still hasn't sued me. Funny that. I'm really surprised that you had to pay him. Yeah, sick. It's sick, isn't it? And I'm not going to stop till I get my money back because that's only one rapist. Especially when you've had one of them come forward and and try and help you. Surely the whole case can be reopened on that basis. Well, we've we've, um, released a press release. I'll email it to you afterwards and you can have a look at it. And and they're just ignoring me, you know. And the, the documentary addressed the Victorian Premier and Attorney General and the best response they've sent me, Lifeline's number, like as if I couldn't find that. I felt like necking myself when I saw that was their response. So they'll pick and choose who they want to support. So you'll have a high-profile case like Chrissy Foster. The Premier is actually um, promoting her book. Well, her daughter walked on the road as a victim of a priest in Caulfield when she was 15 and got hit by a car. And, you know, she's had recognition and payouts and that. Well, at 15, I walked on the road drunk and didn't get hit by a car. But the parallels are there where... When her husband died, Anthony Foster, the Premier gave him a state funeral as an advocate's father. And um, the the very sad thing is the amount of high-profile advocates who have a platform and awards and that, and they they don't stand up or come out. So thank you for giving me a voice because it's appalling how they haven't drawn attention to my plight. I mean... What what more can you do? You you follow due process. You report to the police. You when they're not going to do anything, you you take matters into your own hands and sue. And then when that doesn't work, you make a documentary. Andrew rules our chief crime writer in um, Victoria, Melbourne. And the day that he saw the documentary, he made a true crime podcast the following day of the same name. You be the judge. I was then given the. Um, AMA President's Award for my advocacy work in a pandemic and uh, the year before it had been shared by 10 doctors and professors and I won it standalone in a pandemic because the justice system doesn't work. The medical system gets flooded with this trauma. This doesn't have to be that way. Like if, if, if victims got justice... They wouldn't need years of therapy and counselling and trigger warnings and stuff. They'd well, be validated. Well, the the problem is it doesn't suit the narrative. Of course not. And so, of course not. Got to look. It's 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 across yes. 
echelons and all up and down all all layers of society. Yes. So yes, it is. I, I think what what as survivors, um, you know, we need to do is, you know, people are trying to find their voices, but of course this, the shame is huge. Uh, the guilt is huge if if the families have gone back and said, look what you've done to us. Yes. Oh, so like they're, they're the victims. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's very hard for survivors to have the confidence to actually put their mm. head above the parapet. And I think one of the things, you know, uh, I mean, there's a couple of things you've already said. And, and just as we're going into closing out this first part, we will be coming back audience with part two, which looks at what Marita did, uh, what helped her through her recovery and healing of this and any tips she may give you because some of you will be going through uh, yes. court or the justice system. Um, but we do know two things are true. One is she did speak up and she was believed enough to be removed. So that's amazing. So grateful for that. Thank God you were believed uh, and removed. That's really, I'm so thrilled. But equally, how often do we as a survivor community ever hear of a victim or survivor actually having to pay a perpetrator money? So, yeah. uh, Marita, stay right there. But for the audience, I just want you to think, if that was part one, just imagine what part two is going to look like. And as always, I see you. I stand beside you and I believe you.